Hello, friends. Um, I want to tackle a topic for one of my seven-minute uh, side issues, and this is a redo. You may have already seen this if you watched just a few minutes ago, but this is uh, the question we're asking today is how do we interpret the days of creation in Genesis 1 and 2? My last one went a little long, so I'm going to try to make this one a bit, bit closer, a bit quicker. So, this has been a topic that comes up a lot, and maybe you had this question. I, I didn't have a chance to really deal with it on Sunday, but it's how do we take these? Let me hit the screen right. How, how do we understand and interpret these days of creation in, in Genesis one and two, the six days in which God made everything? I have had people tell me that the only right way to interpret that is literal 24-hour periods, that any anything other than a literal is to, to not believe the Bible. It's a concession to modern science. It's to give in to Darwin's theory. And, and one thing to understand is that before Darwin, before all of the modern views of creation, pre, the pre-modern church fathers did not always interpret these days literally. In fact, many of them had non-literal interpretations. They kind of recognized this language is different. So uh, church fathers like Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, Origen, uh, all took a different view on these passages. Augustine, um, the great thinker in in his time, said that these, these days are different than normal human days. So what are the indications in scripture that that these days should be taken in a different way. So that's what I want to hit on today. And so I, I'm going to give you a few different reasons. One is simply there, the, there's poetic language being used, and especially in Genesis 1. If you read it, there's a rhythm to it. And you'll note that there was morning, or there was evening, and then there was morning. And so there's these transitions between the days that have that rhythm to it. There's other aspects of this. For example, it doesn't say sun and moon. Instead, it says the greater light and the lesser light. Genesis 1 and 2 is teaching that, that, that what the other peoples would have said, these, these lights in the sky are gods themselves, is no, these are things created by God. Um, but it's done in this poetic language. That's the point it's making. Another reason within the Bible to, to, to question whether these days are, are literal 24-hour periods is the difficulty in reconciling within the account of Genesis 1 and 2 how this would all work if they were literal days. For example, the sun and moon, the greater light and lesser light, are actually not created until day four, but those are how we mark day and night. So how, how does that make sense? Or the big question is is all of Genesis 2 would theoretically fit, would have to fit in the second half of the end of the day of Genesis, of the day six. You see, on day six, God first made the, the beast of the earth and um, all the creatures of the land, and then he made human beings in his image, both male and female. So then Genesis 2, you have the creation of Adam and Eve, and so there's a lot that happens before Eve is actually created. And so by this thinking, all of that would have happened on just the end of day six. And then the day ends with the marriage. There seems to, that just doesn't seem to fit very well 
Moreover, there are things that the narrative does not tell us. Things that, if it were just giving a straightforward account, we would we would want to know. For example, where where does Cain's wife come from? Where, where are the people whose Cain uh, Cain is afraid of killing him come from? When so far the only people mentioned were Adam and Eve, and then Cain is the last one left. So it seems to me there's more to the story. And so to take these days as strictly literal is not necessarily how, how they're intended to be interpreted. And let me give you a third reason. We're told that God's days are different than our days. Second Peter 3, 8. Um, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God views time differently. So we should not get too caught up over how we how we take these days. It, and and there we could definitely be open to different interpretations. Another reason, Hebrews 4. If you read through Hebrews 4, it talks about how God's people are meant to enter God's rest. There yet remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And in doing that, we enter God's rest. So it's saying God is in his rest day perpetually meaning God is still in day seven of creation. He In the six days, God was creating new species. He's no longer creating new species on earth. He is now, in, in creation terms, at rest. And we could enter that rest as we know and relate to God and be at peace with him. But that tells us then this day seven has been going on since creation was done, since the creation of human beings. And that actually makes sense for within the text of Genesis 2, day seven doesn't end. All the other days end with, and there was evening and morning. Day seven does not have an end like that. So these are some reasons just within, and I'm, I'm sure there's others, but these are ones that stick out to me. And, and then I've kind of discovered a new one in the more recent days as I'm reading Genesis again myself in the last few months. And a new thought occurred to me, basically. And it comes out of this. God issues a word that does not immediately take effect, but develops over time. And the word he gives is in Genesis 6-3, where God declares that the lifetimes of mankind will be limited to 120 years. And immediately you see a change. So before Genesis 6-3, you see the descendants of Adam and Eve through Seth had these super long lifetimes, um, up to nearly a thousand years. Um, Adam, I believe, lives to 930. And then his, his descendants, they continue to live at those, those older ages. And Noah, who was alive when God issued this, he lives to 950. And so you think, well, after Noah, then immediately we'd go to 120. But we don't. We see these ages, and you can see them on the screen, slowly going down from 600 to the 400s. And then you get a few generations later, you're in the 200s. And then by the time you get to Abraham's father, Terah, lives to be 205. Abraham, 175. You see it starting to get down. This is generations, centuries later. Um, millennia later, Isaac 180, Jacob 147. It's only with Jacob's son, Joseph. And it's he's the last one whose age we're given where we see it go under 120, the limit God had sent. And then when you get Moses in the next book, he lives to be 120. 
So it seems to be that God issued a word, but his word did not immediately happen to be. It took effect more slowly, it developed over time. Could that be God's way of, of working and how his word affects his will on earth? That would fit with what I learned, um, the view I've, I've come to, to have, uh, what, what I would call old, old earth creationism. A lot of this I, I've got from Hugh Ross. He's been a big influence on how I, how I view the creation. It, it's God literally created, but he, he would create new things and then allow time to see that develop. And so Hugh Ross's book, Improbable Planet, spells that out. It's one of his more recent books. Um, I'll show you. I actually have, I think, three or four uh, Hugh Ross books, if you're interested in my office, that all kind of talk about creation and time, creation of the cosmos. And uh, he, he gets on that. But then as far as interpreting the, the Bible days, um, uh, it's an Old Te- Testament professor, Gordon Humer, who uh, I listened to his sermons when he was at Park Street Congregational. And he's at Gordon-Conwell, which is a conservative evangelical seminary. He suggests that the, the right way to interpret these days is that they are days of God or days in heaven, not human earthly days. That God's time is in a different status. Like it's 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 connected to our time, but it doesn't run as the same pace as days on earth. That God exists outside of our time frame. And so the the days of creation to God that was seven days, but to us, these are appear to be extended periods of time. And just to close with one illustration for those of you who, like me, love C.S. Lewis, the Narnia stories play into that. If, if you ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know that the children go into this, this world of Narnia, where they encounter uh, Jesus as, as Aslan. But then when they leave Narnia and come back to our world, though they were, spent a lot of time in Narnia, it was only an instant in our world, that the times operated differently between the two worlds. It would make sense that the times between God's world and our world just might operate differently if God really does exist, if he transcends this world. What I want you to know is it is okay to take a different view on on how to interpret these days of creation. I know Christians on both sides of this issue, and I, I don't think it's one that we should divide over as Christians. If you some people aren't interested at all, and that's okay. You just trust God created it all, and that's fine as well. But if you are into it, um, it's it's interesting to debate, and it's a worthwhile debate. But but let's not get so caught up in it that we that we can't see the viewpoints of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's my view. Um, thanks, and we'll be going more in deep depth on Sunday.